We're going to move to our scripture today. It's from Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Uh, I'll read. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from me we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that established him even to the subject, all things to himself. We have been in the letter of Paul to the Christians in Philippi for a couple of months now. We've been here for a long time. This is, I think, message 9 or 10. And today we are in the latter part of chapter 3. I was, it was read by Pastor Mike. And as it was read, here in our passage in chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Paul returns to this idea of citizenship. Tell somebody next to you, citizenship. We were introduced to this idea of citizenship in chapter 127. If you remember a few, weeks, a few months back, when Paul charged the believers in the beginning of the letter to, to, to do what? To only let their manner, to conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. The word, the Greek word was polytheomai. Polytheomai. Poly, city, theomai, behave as the person of the city. Citizenship. You know, when, when I turned 10, uh, my parents set my sister and I down. We, mind you, we grew up in the middle of nowhere Korea. Like middle of nowhere. One signal light, one elementary school, one middle school. I mean, and, and they told us, they're like, hey, by the way, we're moving to America this summer. When I was 10, I'm like, oh my goodness, I love my life in the countryside. We didn't have to study. I didn't have to learn English. And this, this bomb dropped. You know, and, and imagine growing up in the middle of Gangwondo where there was no English hagwon. I, I, I not only didn't know how to speak English, I didn't know the alphabet, actually. So I get dropped. So all of a sudden, my parents are like, well, we're going to go. So I'm going to send you this one English academy for like a few months so you could prepare. So I go to this English academy in the middle of Gangwondo where it's not very good education. But there's one phrase they taught me for months and months. Guess what that phrase was? I am a boy. I probably have told you this. I am a boy, right? So this is all I know. I land in America at age 10, right? I go to school thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be to say this one thing. I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to say hello. And I'm going to say I'm a boy. But I've never had to use that phrase because I don't, I mean, look at me. I don't look like, I don't know why we do this, right? But I landed in America at age 10. Uh, and, and we were green card holders because my parents had applied when I was born. They'd gotten green card through my aunt's invitation. And it took a while for us to actually get our U.S. citizenship, right? I think I was like age 18 or 19 when I got my U.S. I was green card holder and I became a U.S. citizen. And as part of becoming a U.S. citizen, I needed to attend a ceremony, interview, do the test, know the fourth president of America, know the, the, the lyrics of, 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 of the songs and all these things, right? And at the end of this process, I was asked to stand 
with other applicants and take an oath. Right? An oath that read, I mean, at the, at the time I didn't remember. I was just following what the person was saying. But an, an oath that read like this, to become a U.S. citizen, it was this, I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom which I have heretofore been a subject of or citizen that I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. Literally, this is what I had to say. I had to take this oath. And the moment I stood up with a group of fellow applicants, and I said these words, I was no longer a citizen of my motherland, Korea, but a completely different nation. And some of you guys have probably gone through similar experiences. And really, that's what Paul is talking about, this idea that when you came to Christ, you took an oath to become a citizen of another nation. Right? And, and, and so Paul wants to instill in the hearts of these believers that have become new citizens of the kingdom to remind them not only they're no longer citizens of this earth, but of a far greater nation. In fact, this idea of citizenship was a huge deal for the people of Philippi. We talked about this earlier in the series the word polytheomai is only found in the letter to the Philippians, not in the Ephesians, not in Romans, not in any other, not in Galatians, but just in Philippians, because many believed it was this idea that Philippians had, right? Being from Philippia, Philippian, city of Philippi, meant that you were immediately given Roman citizenship because Philippi, the city of Philippi, was one of the Roman colonies, the superpower at the time. And that Roman passport, that Roman citizenship came with, with, with wonderful privileges and protection that no other citizenships enjoyed at the time, right? So, so for people of Philippi, the Christians of Philippi, they understood when Paul says citizenship, they understood what it meant to be a citizen because they took great pride in their own Roman citizenship. And Paul says now in that dynamic, let me speak to you about what it means to be a citizen, not of the earthly kingdom, but of a far greater one. You are polytheomai, not only of Rome, but also now the kingdom of God, which means your allegiance, commitment, values, and identity belongs no longer to Rome, but to God. So friends, in the same way, this is not just true for Christians in Philippi. In the same way, if you have committed your life to Jesus, we're also given a new citizenship. Amen? That all of us are part of a new kingdom. Yeah, you are Korean, you're Canadian, you are Chinese, you are Japanese. You're Kenyan, and many different nations are represented in our church. But really, you are a citizen of a far greater nation. So with that in mind, I have three encouragements that Paul gives in our passage. Three things. One, as citizens of God's new kingdom, 
Paul says, here are things that we need to leave behind. So first, what are the things that we need to leave behind? Second, what are the things that we need to embrace and take on? And three, the wonderful news of what it means to be part of this new kingdom. So what are we to leave behind? What are we to embrace and practice? And the wonderful news of what it means to be part of this kingdom. But first, before I go into any of these points, first, I want to set the context for us. And that begins by trying to understand who is Paul talking about in verses 18 and 19 in our passage. When he says, these people, I weep thinking about these people who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. Who is Paul talking about? And really, no one can be sure because Paul doesn't name these people in our passage But we can assume he's addressing one of these two groups that were active at the time of the early church. One group was for sure these Jewish Christians that were going around and telling these early churches that you needed to be like a Jew. You need to eat like a Jew. You need to follow these rules. You need to be circumcised. The gospel is not enough. You need to actually be more Jewish in order to remain saved. There was that group, and Paul was adamant about speaking against that kind of teaching. It is Christ only, not everything else. And then on the other side of the spectrum, there was a group called Gnostics. And they they believed, they claimed that only spirit of a person was important and body was not. So as long as you believe in your spirit... Because spirit is the only thing that's good. God did not care about what you did with your body. You could sin and live the way you want as long as in your spirit you believe God. That's what they were teaching, leading many astray from the truth. But again, we don't know exactly who Paul is addressing. People have different theories and ideas. It could be both. But what is clear from the text is that whoever these people were, whether they were the Jewish leaders, whether they were the Gnostics, the problem was not their theology. We can can glean from Paul's words. It's not about their theology, but it was their practice, the way they lived out their theology. This is why Paul says in verse 18 of our passage, many walk, circle the word walk, walk as enemies of God. So every time Paul uses the word walk, He's not speaking about someone's belief. He's talking about someone's action, their decisions and choices. So Paul says, the problem with these people, whoever these people are, it's not their theology. It's actually the way they're living out what they believe. And let me remind us once again, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are in the thick of their trials and challenges. Paul is not writing to a group of Christians who are succeeding, who are doing well in life. He is writing to a group of Christians who are facing immense persecution outside of the church. And he's writing to a group of Christians who is facing disunity within the church among some of the leaders. There's a lot of drama and challenges that these people were facing. Many of these people have lost lots of things for their faith. And their leader, Paul, who was leading them, who planted them, is locked away, not knowing whether Paul will come away live or dead. So really, Paul does his best to remind them once again, right, through these words. 
And he's telling him, you are actually on the right path. All the persecution and challenges and discouragements you are facing, actually this is the way of the cross. So even in the most painful seasons, you can, you can rejoice. That's the message of the letter of Philippians, to rejoice in the midst of all the trials and challenges and difficulties. Because, why? Because Paul's point is you are not walking on an unknown path. You are not tra- trailblazing this difficult, painful trail. You're actually walking in the path that Christ himself has walked for us and before us. So really the first encouragement is this. The mindset, the call that Paul is, Paul is challenging us to leave behind as new citizens really is this, right? Walk not as enemies of the cross. Instead, walk in the path of the cross of Christ. You see, the cross of Christ can only speak of one thing. This idea of sacrifice and surrendering. Right? Friends, this is the call, right? We must leave behind our constant desire to leave, live lives of convenience and comfort. Like all of us love convenience and comfort. Look at, the, look at the, how the world is designed. Look at your chair. It's very comfortable, right? It's very nice. But we must continue to fight against this desire to seek comfort and convenience in all aspects of life. Our marriage, following Christ means that every area of our lives must be surrendered not only to the will of God, but also the way of the cross. So thinking about our marriage, our relationships, our career, even the way we rest and play must be transformed and shaped by the cross of Christ. So this means just talking about work, our approach to work. All of us work in some ways. It's not simply, you know, as you're working, it's not simply advancing our career. That shouldn't be the primary goal of our working. It isn't simply running a profitable business for your company, for your shareholders, for whoever. No, following Jesus must challenge the way you think about your work. Right? It must challenge the way you speak to your clients, even the ones that are unreasonable and straight up just not reasonable. <laughs> The way you work with your coworkers, even the ones you feel like you're carrying the most weight. That means the way you relate to your bosses, even the ones you can't even stand and you don't want to even have lunches with. It must challenge the way you treat those who are under your care. People are not just means to a greater end, greater success, but people are it. That's what God is calling us to do. You have a far greater calling. When it comes to work, you have a far greater calling because if you look at your work through the lens of the cross, you have far greater calling. And this call is to surrender, call to sacrifice. And again, that goes for your marriage, that goes for your aspirations and different ideas and desires that you have for your life. But don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of provision, yes. It is a kingdom of healing, yes. It is kingdom of restoration, yet provision often comes 
through our own sacrifices. Healing happens when we are willing to surrender. Restoration is only available through our willingness to give away our lives. In fact, you, for some reason, after pandemic, I want to try this church thing out. You're dabbing into Christianity with a desire or a certain expectation to improve the quality of your life. That's you. First, welcome. That's great. That's wonderful. But if someone told you, right, if you became a Christian, you're going to be wealthier, healthier, and happier. You're not going to have any problems. You're not going to face any hardships. I want to tell you up front because I don't want you to be disappointed. If you come to faith with those desires, you're going to be disappointed. In fact, if you want to improve the quality of your life, there are many other worldviews, many other things you should actually pursue that are far more effective, but this, Christianity, will not do that for you. Christianity is, is for those who are willing to follow, willing to submit, willing to surrender, willing to face hard and difficult things. Amen? It's wonderful. There's a wonderful gift of new life. But don't get it confused that this new life is a life of happiness and health and wealth. And, and we've, we've, we, we hear that. But that's just simply not true. If you read scripture, I don't have to tell you, if you read scripture, if you read the life of Jesus and how he, he at the end, how his life ends up, we cannot say Christianity is about becoming healthier and wealthier and happier. No, it's about following our Savior who's gone before us, the way of the cross. Paul says, verse 19, their end, he's talking about these enemies of the cross. He says, their end is destruction. Why? Because Paul says their belly, their God, is their belly. And they glory in their shame. I love the phrase, their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. The word belly literally means cravings and feelings. Cravings and feelings. The word in Greek literally means seat of inward life. Cravings and feelings that we have. So here is what Paul isn't saying, right? Because I don't want us to misunderstand what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying our cravings and feelings are evil of themselves. No, he's not saying they're evil. In fact, God has given cravings and feelings to us, emotions to us. He has given us ability to desire, an ability to feel and, and sense. That's what makes us human. And they play an important role in keeping us safe and healthy. Yet Paul says, this is what Paul is saying, when our cravings and feelings become the most important thing, when they control all of our actions, when they become our, our, our primary guiding principle for life, that's when they become utterly destructive. That's when they become utterly destructive. And this... Is, this was not only a challenge for church in Philippi because they were, growing, they, were, they were in a culture that was vastly different from Christianity, but perhaps even a challenge for us, perhaps a greater challenge for us because we live in a culture, many of us grew up in, a, in this culture, and we live in a culture that constantly tells us what? Have it 
your way. That's Burger King, right? Have it your way. I, I don't have to tell you it's Burger because we know. We grew up with this the idea. Have it your way. Follow your heart. Movies, songs, stories, endless stories and movies and songs that scream at us to pursue our dreams. That is the goal of life. Pursue our desires and, and really no one should be able to tell you what to desire and what to feel. Yet Paul says, Paul says when we do that, we cannot help but to glory in shameful things. First, that's verse 18. And when we look at our culture, when we think about our culture today, our culture delights in what? Things that are shameful, that ought to be shameful. The word glory literally means to delight in something, right? We live in a culture that delight in gluttony, sex, and violence. Right? The most popular YouTubers are not teachers, healthcare workers, right? No, it's gamers. It's these racy influencers with these racy videos. It's mukbang TV. I mean, do you guys like mukbang TV? Mukbang TV is kind of wild where mukbang TV is basically a person eats like ungodly amount of food. It's just gluttony, right? People eating ungodly amount of food. And I'm not saying food, sex, and entertainment are evil. Please don't get me wrong. In fact, they are also gifts from God. Yet, when our cravings, our appetite, and feelings become more important than God Himself to us, when they are the very things that drive all of our actions and decisions and choices, it's going to destroy us. I mean, some of you, some of you are parents. I have two daughters. If I let my daughters just eat whatever they want, they want chocolate for breakfast, they want candy for lunch, they want ice cream for dinner, they want dog. I mean, if I just let them eat whatever they want, I'll get arrested. I should get arrested. It would be terrible for them, right? When we allow our cravings and our appetite and feelings become God to us, that's when we lose sight of what is truly glorious, what is truly worthy of praise. What about our emotions and feelings? Let me say one more thing about feelings. Emotions play an important role. We talked about emotionally healthy spirituality. A few, few months ago, we were in this series about just really understanding our emotions and bringing them to God, right? They play an important role, how you, how you think, how you behave. Emotions motivate you to act, help us avoid danger, can help you make wise decisions. And again, we shouldn't ignore our emotions and feelings because when we do that, studies have shown that it will come back and have even, even greater harm to us. It's called boomerang effect. When you stuff down your negative emotions and not deal with it, it will eventually come back later and it will be more harmful. It will come back in a bigger way. So it is important that we do not ignore our emotions. And it is important that we allow ourselves to feel our emotions. Yet we must continue to remember even our emotions and our feelings they cannot be the, the primary driver of our decisions and choices. And any of you guys wrote an email and regret it right away? You, you sent a chat out of anger, out of frustration, and you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, we've all experienced that, right? Being driven by emotions usually does not, is not beneficial to us. I mean, this week, you know, can I be honest? I 
was so emotional to speak. Like, I'm usually not an emotional guy, but I was so easily irritated by everything that came my way, right? I was angry driving. I was short with my two daughters. I, I, I was like annoyed of just random things. And I could not put my finger on where this emotion was coming from. I was, so, I was so annoyed of the fact that I got so easily annoyed. I was like, what is going on? And I really had to bring these emotions that I was feeling, these negative emotions of anger and bitterness and, 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 and different emotions. I had to bring them before God, right, throughout this week. And be honest with God about my feelings, which is not easy, actually, which is really hard. And I wish I could tell you that I've done that. Now I'm good. Emotionally, I am, I am good. I'm ready to go. No, it's not. That's not true. I, I still don't know where these emotions are coming from. I'm not sure how to walk through these emotions that I've been feeling. But I do know one way through, only, only one way through this season is by continuing to bring these emotions before God. That's the only way. Right, the book of Psalms. Have you seen David praying these crazy prayers? God, you hate me. God, you're letting me die. God, I love you. You're my deliverer. That's how one psalm ends. But I, I think God has given us language and space to be able to come and, 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 and express our emotions so that we're not driven by our emotions. And perhaps some of you, like me, have been dealing with your own emotions of anger, frustration, anxiety, and fear, maybe it's the weather, maybe we ate something wrong, maybe it's something else. But I want to gently encourage you, if that's you, do not let those emotions sit quietly. You know, bring those emotions out. Bring those emotions into a safe place, whether it's your community group, whether it's in time of prayer before God, make sure you are expressing and you are sharing how you feel so that they don't just sit and rot and mess with just who you are and, and drive you. And it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay to admit that you're not okay. It's okay to admit that you've had a rough week. It's okay to admit that you were irritated and you shouldn't have been. And, and, and when you bring these emotions, every time David brought these emotions, God had met him. You know, God's going to meet us where we are. God has met me this week where, I mean, I'm still not good, but God has met me each day. His mercies were new every morning. He had to reset me every morning, right? If, if I kept going, it would be like, ah, but, you know, really. And if you're having trouble playing, talk to somebody today. We have elders here. We have pastors here. We, we want to pray with you. But, but do not allow your emotions to sit and drive and make decisions for your life. Now let me shift to the second thing. This is the only second thing, but we're towards the end of the sermon. Okay, guys, you guys are like leaving now, okay? We got, we, we're, we're towards the uh, end of our sermon. Let me shift to the second thing that I want to highlight from the passage. So, so far we talked about what we ought to leave behind, right? This desire for comfort and convenience, this desire to letting our appetite and cravings and feelings be the driving force. Verse 17 is what we ought to embrace now. now. Let's talk about what we ought to embrace as citizens of this new kingdom. And, and Paul says in verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. What Paul is saying is, friends, brothers, become fellow imitators of, of Christ. Right, this is an invitation to join Paul's journey of knowing Christ. Pastor, uh, Elder Charles talked about this, 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 this wonderful message of knowing Christ. And Paul says, I have this wonderful joy in knowing Christ, so you join me in my journey by becoming imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And he adds, and Paul adds, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What Paul is saying is identify in your life those who are following Christ, those who are living according to the way of the cross and have fellowship. Pursue fellowship. Koinonia. Pursue fellowship with them. Friends, Christian life is never meant to be lived alone. I've said this many times. You know this truth. As these COVID restrictions are loosening, we have a wonderful opportunity to recommit ourselves to the local church, right? And, and, and I, I understand, I recognize that for some of you guys, you know, this idea of coming to a big space with lots of people after a year and a half of being alone can be very overwhelming. Just coming to a space like this can be overwhelming. We've gotten used to doing church online, church on our own, and we've done groups online, and for some of us, you know, it's just, it's scary to go back to church. It's scary to go back to community when for such a long time we've done Christian faith alone. And we're living in a world where more things are going remote. I mean, that's where the world is headed. Tech companies are now investing into creating these digital spaces. Did you hear Facebook rebranding called Meta? And they're creating this whole metaverse where we're all going to be avatars and we're going to work as avatars. We're going to probably go to church as avatars. I mean, there's this huge effort to go, go more remote culturally, right? Working remote, doing things remotely, and maybe now this virtual reality of the world that we're all going to live in. Yet here is simple reality. Here's a simple truth that will not change even though technology in the world is changing. That we, we as followers of Jesus need to come together in physical space as often as we can because we cannot follow and imitate each other who we do not see. I'm not saying you cannot do Bible study on Zoom. I'm not saying you could have a church in this metaverse. No. Sure, those things would help. But if you really want to grow and if you really want to imitate each other as Paul's calling us, we need to come. At the end of the day, we need to come together and be able to give each other high fives, give, give each other hugs, see how each other's living. And, and this is hard because so much of Christianity has become individualistic, right? The way we think about calling, the way we think about salvation, the way we think about growth. Often it's my relationship with Jesus, it's my calling that God has given me, my future. Yet do you realize, if you look at the Old Testament, every time God shows up to call somebody, He never called, and it's not about individual, it's calling people. God has called nations, God has called people to himself. So, so, so again, 
we need to really fight for in this new season as we are getting out of COVID and into a new sort of social distancing era, we really need to make our best effort to be able to invite each other, not just come to church, but invite each other to our homes and be able to spend time together and share and do these things. That's the only way we can imitate, imitate each other as we imitate Christ. Let me wrap up our time in verses 20 to 21, returning to this idea of citizenship. Paul began this whole thing with citizenship. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. From it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. I love that Paul's encouragement in our passage does not conclude with the burdens remaining on our shoulders. Notice verse 20, our most important call as citizens of God's kingdom, it is not to accomplish more. It is not to become better or try harder. No, rather it is, verse 20, it says, we await our Savior Jesus. It is to wait. Friends, the most important call we find in our passage it is this action, it is this call to wait on Christ. And when we learn this art of waiting, because waiting is what? Waiting is hard. Mo Williams, the book, children's book, waiting is hard. When we learn to wait on Christ, even in the most painful seasons, even in the most challenging times, even in the most chaotic moments of life, as we wait, Christ will transform our lowly body to His. That's a promise that we find in our passage. In fact, if you think about it, this transforming work does not end. It never ends. It will continue until we are called home, right? Obviously, when Paul talks about what talks about in verse 21, he's thinking about heaven, waiting for Jesus so that we could arrive in our final home. So yes, we think about heaven and trans being transformed when we arrive there. But we are already in the process of being transformed because we are in Christ. And friends, I want to remind us, it is not our doing that transforms you and I. It is not our striving that brings maturity. It is not working that brings the change that we desperately need and desire. It is waiting. It is the power of the resurrection, power of Christ. Friends, this is the gospel, and we'll end our time here. The one who had no sin became sin for us. That's what the scripture says. And Jesus lived a life that we could not live, and he died the death that you and I deserved. And this is why we have victory even over the most addictive cravings that we have. This is why we are not undone by our own feelings of anger, frustration, and bitterness, and anxiety, and disappointment. You see, in Jesus, we have a Savior who has not only come to this earth, but who has walked in our shoes. Jesus knows what it means to be tempted in every way. He has felt all emotions while His time on earth, right? He knows what it's like to be ignored. He knows what it's like to be rejected and misunderstood and wronged. 
Yet through it all, he did not sin. But what he did was he made a payment for you and I. He made a payment for your life and for my life. And his blood is what washes us clean. His resurrection is what gives us true hope, true meaning, true rejoicing. So I want to encourage you. Let's continue to remember we are walking and following Christ, the path that he has already gone before us. Amen? Jesus, we thank you for reminding us of the cost, reminding us of the cross. Lord, we come with our baggage, we come with our emotions, we come with our brokenness, and we lay them before you, Jesus. We lay them before you. Would you do something new in this place now? Would you do something new in this place now? We thank you. We love you. Jesus, and we pray. Amen.